you think you might have Lyme disease. What happens next? Hopefully you can find a Lyme literate doctor who can then order tests for you. But what tests would you have done? Getting an accurate and timely diagnosis is half the battle. We are going to meet a doctor who specializes in treating patients with Lyme disease and understands all of the testing options available. There's no better person to talk to about testing than Dr. Ralph Hawkins. He is the site lead for internal medicine at Calgary's South Health Campus Hospital. He specializes in treating patients with Lyme disease and tick-borne illnesses. Hello, Dr. Hawkins. Good morning, Sarah. How are you today? I'm great. I'm just curious to know, how did Lyme disease enter into your medical practice? Through serendipity, honestly. Um, I uh, was running a clinic that uh, was seeing all kinds of uh, general referrals. And uh, because of my uh, years of experience, I do tend to take cases uh, referred to me that are a bit of a question mark for some other physicians or they just want a different slant on things. So I, in that capacity, saw a young gentleman from southern Alberta who was a um, geophysicist for the oil survey. And his work entailed going out and crunching through the bush, and he had tick bites all the time. But he had presented to me with a history of um, uh, progressive weakness. Now, he had a black belt in Taekwondo, and he was getting weak to the point where he couldn't actually walk upstairs. Um, he was starting to have some difficulty with his memory and recollection, and uh, was a bit foggy and cloudy and... Uh, we spent a lot of time uh, looking at him, doing a full and complete evaluation for potential causes of fatigue and um, uh, progressive weakness. And one of the things that came up as we were talking was the possibility that he might have a tick-borne disease. So I was quite new to tick-borne diseases at that time and uh, made arrangements for provincial serology to be done, which uh, didn't post positive results. Uh, but because of um, my belief that he could have a tick-borne disease and the authorities in Alberta wouldn't do the um, Western blot in the face of a negative uh, ELISA, um, I arranged for a Western blot to be done privately south of the border, uh, not at the commonly used hygienics lab, but rather at a university lab at the State University of New York. And uh, we came up with positive serologies or positive uh, band patterns rather for western blots that made me sufficiently suspicious that this was Lyme disease and so in my naivete at that time I referred him through to infectious diseases colleagues to make arrangements for him to be treated with intravenous antibiotics on home parenteral therapy program and that was when I learned that uh, the diagnosis of late-stage Lyme disease isn't generally recognized by the infectious diseases community. Uh, it certainly isn't uh, qualified to be treated with home parental therapies uh, funded by the provincial government program. And uh, the advice that I received from the infectious diseases colleague was that uh, I should drop this case and not pursue uh, a practice in looking after such patients because uh, they were all somatoform disorders, and uh, it just wouldn't be a worthwhile practice. 
and so um, I am the I, I am the son of Scottish and Irish people, and when you tell me not to do something, it generally will provoke the opposite reaction. <laughs> so I took up uh, the cause of looking at uh, other patients with fatigue and pursuing uh, Lyme diagnoses. It required me to do thousands of hours of reading of literature uh, dating back to the 1970s and 80s to get a good grip on what was done before Lyme disease became controversial. Uh, since Lyme disease has become controversial in the mid-90s, uh, there is uh, a wide array of what's written in the literature, and um, much of it is based on opinion rather than study. I know that's a long answer to your question, but that's where it all came from. Can you just explain, so the current testing in Canada is still the ELISA and the Western blot, and I'm just wondering if you can explain those that to our listeners and, and why it is so difficult to detect Lyme with our current testing. Sure thing. So so I've been expecting that you ask me this question. So I've, uh, I've come up with an analogy that I hope will, will strike with uh, the people who are listening. So the, the process of testing for this disease and many other diseases is called two-tier testing. So the first tier of testing is supposed to be very sensitive. That means that they're willing to accept negative people being caught by the first test because the second test is supposed to weed and sort that all out. So the, the analogy that I'd put forward is going through, um, for air travelers, anyone going through security at the airport is going through two-tier testing. The first test that you go through, you walk through a metal detector, which will detect any metal. It's not sensitive just for weapons. It's sensitive for any metal. And so that sensitive test will pull you out of the line, and it will direct you to the second test. The second test is a physical search of your belongings. And so the physical search of the belongings will identify what triggered the first test. Was it a belt? Was it a switchblade knife? Was it a semi-automatic weapon? You know, so it's a very specific test, the second test. So the analogy with Lyme disease is that the first test that is done is an antibody test called an ELISA. That's an abbreviation for a very long title that I won't say to confuse anything. But the ELISA test will identify antibodies that are on the surface of uh, part of the uh, bacteria that would cause the Lyme disease infection. Now, that ELISA can test positive if you've had other diseases that aren't Lyme disease. So it's not a specific test only for Lyme disease. It could be triggered by other things. And the, the government scientists who have written about this subject matter identified that positive test results 3.8 percent of the time could be something other than Lyme disease. So 96.2 percent of the time a positive test on that first one is Lyme disease. And what is the second tier testing? So the second test is called a western blot study. Now the western blot study is simply sorting uh, antigens and antibodies that are all glommed together by their size. And so uh, the specimen is put into a gel, and then an electric current is passed through the gel, and things that weigh a lot will move slowly through the gel, and things that are light will move quickly through the gel. 
so it sort of stretches and separates all of these uh, different antibodies attached to their antigens according to their weight. And you end up with kind of a, a ribbon of antibodies. And then they can uh, apply they can apply material that will highlight um, the different patterns, uh, sort of like a dye. Um, and you can have a strongly colored band of material, or you can have a weakly colored band of material. And we know that uh, there are 14 different antigens that are tested for by the Western blot. Uh, only 10 of them are recognized by the Centers for Diseases uh, Control for the purposes of identifying Lyme disease. And you have to have five out of 10 of them in order for the test result to be considered positive. Now, this is very specific testing, but its sensitivity is atrocious. Uh, the sensitivity of this test approach is only about 50% in the first several months of Lyme disease. And um, it peaks at around 90% at about the one-year mark. And after one year, the sensitivity of this approach starts to fade again, so that in late stages of Lyme disease, it's only picking up about 80%. So when you put these two tests together, air traffic control, we identify the metal going through the metal detector virtually 100% of the time. We send people for a visual search of their belongings and we identify what it is. So that's 100% sensitivity at the first stage and 100% specificity at the second stage. And so we rely on that for the safety of travel and it works really darn well. With Lyme disease, the first test, the ELISA, is only positive about two thirds of the time. And even then, only after a few weeks have gone by, if you test somebody too early, they're going to get a negative test result. But even after four to six weeks, the positivity of the ELISA test is only about two-thirds. So you're going to miss a third of truly infected people with that first test. That explains why so many people are missed in the first tier of testing. Exactly right. And then when the positive test result from the first step goes to have the Western blot study done, only about half of the Western blots are going to be picked up at that sort of early to intermediate stage. So the ability to identify the Lyme disease infection using two-tier testing of blood identifies only 30 to 40 percent of cases. And so over half of the cases in the early stages are going to be missed. Now, there is acknowledgement and awareness of this from the public health authorities, and there are reminders that, uh, to practitioners not to rely on an early negative test result. And if an early test result is negative, they recommend retesting about four weeks later. Four weeks further down the line will improve the sensitivity of the testing somewhat. Unfortunately, neither of the tests ever reach 100% sensitivity or specificity the way that the airport controls do. So there's always going to be people slipping through the cracks using the two-tier testing system. Very recently, Health Canada has decided that instead of the Western blot as the second, uh, second phase, that they're going to come up with a different approach which they're calling a modified two-tier system. The modified two-tier system uses an ELISA for the first step, 
and then a different ELISA for the second step. So uh, the thinking is that if you test positive on an ELISA using one method, and then if a second ELISA is applied, that that would identify a Lyme disease infection with satisfactory uh, reliability. And this has actually been demonstrated uh, in, in bench research that the modified two-tier system is actually more sensitive than the present two-tier system, and it generates results that are equally specific as the present two-tier system. The problem, of course, is that the ELISAs only pick up maybe three-quarters, maybe as much as 80% of uh, people who are infected. So you're going to have a 20% drop-off at each step. So if 20% of people are lost at the first stage and 80% go on, and then 20% of those are dropped off at the second stage, you're going to lose 36% of people through the inability of the test to identify the antigen. So you're still only going to find two-thirds of people with a modified two-tier approach. Are you aware of any emerging research internationally regarding testing? So there are different testing methodologies that are applied in the world. Um, some of them rely on uh, measuring things that aren't antibodies. So one of the test methodologies that I'm particularly attracted to is something that is called the LE spot, which uses not antibody protection production, but it actually looks at the T-cells, which are the policeman cells inside of your body. And the T-cells turn over in your body about every four or five weeks. So there's a new population that's always being produced. And those policeman cells are only going to be responding um, uh, vigorously to things that they're seeing in your circulation at the current time. And so the LE spot will take T-cells, they take a whole blood sample from you, they get it to the lab within 72 hours, within the lifespan of the T-cell in the test tube, and uh, they put your T-cells in contact with known antigens from the Lyme disease bacteria, and they watch for a chemical signal called interferon to be released. And that release of interferon can be detected very sensitively, and you can tell if somebody has a weak reaction or a very vigorously strong reaction from their T-cells. Now, that type of testing isn't um, approved by Health Canada at this point. It's not been approved by Health Canada because, uh, honestly, no one has ever asked Health Canada to adjudicate the testing methodology. Uh, one of the laboratories that actually uses this method would have to approach Health Canada and ask them to adjudicate the test method, and that's just not happened. Uh, but once uh, it does receive Health Canada approval, Health Canada approval would mean that it is a reliable alternative testing methodology. I have patients who uh, have their blood sent to other jurisdictions in the world, um, Germany often, and uh, the testing is done in the laboratory in Germany, and uh, we get results promptly by, uh, by email, electronic transmission. Um, I use those test results to make clinical decisions about patients uh, with their knowledge that this is not Health Canada-approved testing methodology, but it uh, provides clinical information that I cannot get uh, relying on any um, Health Canada-approved uh, testing method. Now, just uh, as an interest for your listeners, 
Um, this exact methodology of identifying interferon release from T-cells is used and approved by Health Canada for the detection of uh, tuberculosis. So latent tuberculosis tests, uh, there's a commonly applied test called a quantiferon test that uh, uses exactly the method that I've described to identify cases of latent tuberculosis as a diagnostic tool and, and directing treatment. So it is not a stretch to think that another latent bacterial infection could be identified using the same type of um, laboratory science. That is fascinating. What does Canada need to do to improve their testing? Well, we, we, we're, we're uh, sitting with very um, conservative thinkers at that small c conservative thinkers at uh, the public health agency who uh, really rely on uh, needing to have absolute specificity for their diagnostic methods. That means that they don't want to call something Lyme disease until it is proven beyond any shadow of a doubt that somebody has Lyme disease. And that's fine. That would get us uh, the narrow diagnostic on the smallest population of people. But there are people who would not meet the criteria that are required to have that definite, absolute diagnosis of Lyme disease, but still probably have Lyme disease, more than a 50-50 chance. So certainly more than on the balance of probabilities, these people would still have a strong claim of saying that they have Lyme disease, but they just don't meet that very, very tight, rigid test methodology that the public health agencies presently oblige. And so we're missing a number of people who fall into that category. And then to rule out a condition, we need to rule out medical conditions with at least 95% confidence. So if somebody has symptoms that are suggestive of Lyme disease and you go through all of the testing methodologies um, and you come up with a probability that their case is Lyme disease of maybe 25%, a one in four chance that this could still be Lyme disease, then you cannot say that you've ruled out Lyme disease in that individual because the probability is much higher than 5%. And so uh, it would be valid for a trial of treatment to be given even to those situations because you haven't been able to rule out what is a truly serious diagnosis. The public health authorities maintain that these potential cases shouldn't be counted. Only the absolutely validated, verified cases should be counted. And a uh, recent publication that was put out by the public health uh, scientists identified that they acknowledge that their methodology is probably capturing about a third of true cases in Canada, which means that two-thirds of true cases in Canada are not being captured by, the, by their approach. That is remarkable. Thank you for walking our listeners through this complex topic, Dr. Hawkins. I so appreciate your time. Oh, you're very welcome. What an amazing interview with a brilliant man, both a doctor and a lawyer. It was so helpful to have him walk us through the testing process here in Canada. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Stay safe in the outdoors. <laughs>